by the king, and it makes my heart. I am loved by the king, and it makes my heart want to sing. Please be seated. Wow, thank you, David. One of my favorite new songs. Can't hardly sing that without getting choked up. Thank you for leading that, and I'm glad we're learning that. What a wonderful song. How can I keep from singing your name? You know, we are embarking on a study for the next 12 weeks. I hope you brought your Bibles. I hope you're ready to open them as we are looking at the minor prophets and the major lessons that we can learn from them. Our theme this whole year is going to be better Bible students and thus better Christians, hopefully. And so what better way to do that than when our Sunday morning and Sunday evening lessons by diving into the Bible and looking more closely at God's Word. And, and of course, with the minor prophets, I'm hoping that I can expose you to some things that maybe you've never noticed before. Understand that the prophets are called minor because they are not uh, necessarily prophets that stand out as much as some of the others, but their message is not minor at all. Not at all. In fact, This is a major message from each one of them, and you're going to see a lot of overlap in this series, a lot of what's being discussed through the lives of these minor prophets and what God is telling them and what they're repeating to the people are things that are going to be kind of bleeding over from one to the other. And so I think what you're going to find at the end of all of this is that our story is very prominent within these minor prophets. The story that you're seeing and the message you're seeing among the minor prophets is a story that's all about us. And we start with Hosea. Actually, I want to start with a story. There was a preacher who had all his teeth pulled to make room for dentures. And his first Sunday into the pulpit, he was still very sore. So he preached for only 10 minutes. He was used to preaching an hour and a half. So people were surprised. He only preached 10 minutes. The next Sunday, he only preached 20 minutes. But the Sunday after that, he preached for over two hours. And so some of the people asked him, you know, what was that all about? And he said, well, you know, the first Sunday I was still pretty sore. I didn't feel like talking. The next Sunday I was still recovering, so I didn't want to go too long. But then that third Sunday, I accidentally picked up my wife's dentures, and I just kept talking and talking. And, <laughs> and you know, women are to keep silent in the assembly, so don't say anything to that, all right? You, you, you can't say anything negative to me about that. You know, I'm not the smartest man in the world, and there's no way meaning that, but I'm not the smartest man in the world. But one thing I do know is that it's not wise to call out your wife from the pulpit if you're a preacher. I've sat in sermons and listened to sermons from guys that were talking about their wife, and I thought, yeah, he's going to get it when he gets home. And, and plus, I mean, how, how could you say anything negative about the most perfect woman in the world, right? So, I mean, I would never do that anyway. But we have a situation tonight where we have a prophet of God, we have a preacher who didn't have a lot of good things to say about his wife. He brings her into the sermon, and he doesn't have a lot of good things to say about her. Because unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of good things to say about her. Look with me in Hosea chapter 1. By the way, you ever heard his name pronounced Hosea? I didn't hear that until I got to college. 
and apparently that is the proper way to pronounce it. So if I say Hosea instead of Hosea, you know what I'm talking about. Hosea chapter 1 verse 1 reads, The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Berah, the, that in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Now just to set the stage a little bit, Hosea is prophesying in the 30 years or so prior to Assyria's destruction of Israel in 722 B.C. He is a contemporary of Amos, and he is addressing an issue that is all too common among the Israelite people, and it is an issue we're going to see throughout our study of the minor prophets, and that is idolatry. Now, as a prophet, Hosea was gifted by being able to communicate with God directly. He is hearing an audible voice from God. God is speaking directly to Hosea. And what a blessing and what a gift that would be, right? Until you consider the first words that God says to this prophet. Go and marry a prostitute. That's it. No hello. No introduction to the life of a prophet by saying, hey, welcome. Here's what we're going to be doing over the next few years. Go and marry a prostitute. How could God command such a thing? Surely God knows what has been said about the subject in the Bible concerning fornication, adultery, and marrying someone who is engaging in those things. But you see, here's the deal. Hosea is to be a living, breathing example of the undying commitment and faithfulness of God to his people. Over and over again, we see God's bride or God's wife, Israel, being unfaithful to the covenant that he established with them. They committed spiritual adultery over and over again, which is what is being addressed here in God's calling of this prophet Hosea. And so God tells him to go and marry this harlot because that is to be a living, breathing example of how God deals with his people. And so Hosea goes and he marries Gomer, and he promises to be faithful unto her, even though she has been completely unfaithful to him. And in short time, they have children, but Hosea is left to wonder if any of them are even his. He's pretty sure two aren't, because their names are not mine and not loved. That's a pretty good sign, isn't it? Two children whose names are drenched with sin, because of the actions of this woman who was supposed to be a faithful wife. You'll notice what Hosea says in chapter 2 and verse 5 about her. He says, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Because of Gomer's deluded and depraved thinking, she only found shallow and momentary happiness. It would be kind of like a woman who finds her a man who takes good care of her. He buys her nice things, a Cadillac, a fur coat. But then after a while, he's tired of her, and he kicks her to the curb, and he moves on to someone else. And she picks up with somebody else, and maybe he can't provide for her as much as the other guy. Maybe it's a fake fur coat, and maybe it's not a Cadillac with some other vehicle that's a lesser vehicle. And she thinks that he loves her too, but as soon as he's done with her, he kicks her to the curb, and now she has to find somebody else. Remember, in this day and age, women needed a man in order to take care of them, and women, unfortunately, a lot of times were treated like cattle. 
And so this woman, Gomer, has been chewed up and spit out by all of these different guys that she thought loved her when they really only wanted one thing from her. And so now she is left destitute and alone. All the while, she was running from the one guy who would take care of her and value her. And so, in a sense, this is what happened to Gomer, Hosea's wife. In her search for fulfillment, she came up empty. Lust and materialism can only take you so far. And now, she is on the slave market, being sold. And Hosea is under no obligation to care. But there's a door of hope. And as we're going to see throughout the message of the minor prophets, while there is always a call to judgment, there is always hope. There's always light at the end of the tunnel. It may be years down the road, but there's always light at the end of the tunnel. And there is a door of hope here. If you look at chapter 2, starting in verse 14, it reads, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, bringing her into the wilderness, and speak kindly to her. Then I will give her her vineyards from there, and the valley of Achor as a door of hope, and she will sing there in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord, that you will call me Ishai, and I will no longer call, uh, and, and will no longer call me Bali, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, so that they will be mentioned by their names no more. In that day, I will also make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, and the creeping things of the ground, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make them lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and in compassion. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. There is hope, but before there's hope, there's calamity. Since Gomer did not change, Hosea decides to take his hand off of her. She has made her bed, and now she has to lie in it. And it says that she is going through the valley of Achor. That the word Achor simply means trouble. But it's there that hopefully she comes to her senses. It's hoping uh, that Hosea says, you know, basically, you never, you never really turn around until you hit rock bottom, and hopefully this will be rock bottom for her. And that's really true, isn't it, that most of the time people wake up when they hit rock bottom, you just hope that they don't do irreparable damage in the process. And that's where, that's where Gomer is at at this point. Hosea has taken his hand off of her and said, you know what, there's nothing more I can do. I've showed you, I've loved you, that I, that I would take you back in a heartbeat, but you're doing your own thing. You don't seem to care about the covenant of marriage, so I'm going to let you alone. And hopefully you'll wake up and come to your senses. You turn over to chapter 3. And after all that Hosea has been through, after all that he has put up with, God speaks to him again, and he says, go and buy her back. I mean, after all he has dealt with, now he is in the unenviable position of going and buying his wife from the slave market. Notice verse 1 and following. Then the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So I bought her for myself, for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. Then I said to her, you shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. 
so I will also be toward you. For the sons of Israel will remain for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod or household idols. Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord, their God, and David, their king. And they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. And so here you have Hosea in this position of having to bid on his own wife. You think about her reputation. You think about how she would have been known among the throngs of people. You think about Hosea having to make his way through the slave market in public, people snickering and whispering about him and his wife behind his back, the judgmental stares. Typically, when someone was sold on the slave market in this day and age, they were completely naked. And so imagine Gomer completely exposed in front of all of these people, everyone knowing who she was. And here's Hosea having to outbid the highest bidder just to take his wife back home. And so the shouts come, 13 pieces of silver, 14. And then Hosea says 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. The auctioneer looks around and doesn't see any more bids, and so he says, sold. And now Hosea takes his wife home. She is now his legal property, and he is able and well within his rights to do whatever he wants to her, even kill her for what she had done to him. And yet he takes her home, and he renews his vow with her. And he tells her, this is the way it's going to be. We're not going to sleep in separate rooms. I'm not going to give you the cold shoulder. We're going to come together, and we're going to be husband and wife again. In fact, we're going to go back to the betrothal stage. And I'm sure you've heard about that either in a sermon from me or in Bible class at some point. But the betrothal stage at this time, when you are betrothed to one another, it was like our engagement process. Except that when you were betrothed to a man or woman, you were in a covenant at that point. You just didn't enjoy all the rights and privileges that come with a marriage. That would come later. Betrothal stage usually lasted like, in, uh, like a year. And so God, through this prophet, is saying to Israel, we're going to go back to the beginning. When everything was giddy and new and exciting, we're going to go back to that. And we're going to start fresh. And it's going to be like you never did any of this. And I want you to notice something else here. I want you to notice that he talks about knowing his wife. You know, you go back and, and you look at other pieces of Scripture. Um, for instance, in Genesis chapter, oh, look at chapter 4, verse 1, it reads, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Or you look at Matthew 1, 24 and 25, and it reads, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. To know in the Bible was often a reference to intimacy or intercourse. And so the language that is used here, look at Hosea chapter 2, starting in verse, oh, let's look at verse 19. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and loving kindness and in compassion. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. 
what is God saying here through the prophet Hosea? To know is often used in reference to intimacy and intercourse in Scripture. And so the language here is a graphic depiction of a husband who will not distance his wife from himself. They're going to come back together. Nothing will be withheld. There will be the deepest fellowship and communion in this home. God is making a very clear statement here. You have disobeyed. You have wronged me. But I still love you. And within this story is our story. Because if you, if you can read what we've been talking about and it breaks your heart, then you start to understand what God was feeling. If you can read through the story of Hosea and all that he dealt with, with his adulterous wife, then you can start to see how God feels. And before you look down your nose at Gomer and judgment, she represents all of us. Every single one of us. Because you know as well as I know, we've all been guilty in some sense of being unfaithful. Have you committed adultery against God? Have you committed spiritual adultery? Have you been guilty of bowing down or serving another idol, whether it be your career, whether it be you know, school, whether it be leisure, pleasure, sports, whatever it may be? I think we all have to admit at some point that we have been unfaithful to the marriage, right? Maybe not to the level that Gomer had been. Maybe so. And yet, through it all, we see the love of God and the door of hope open. Now, as we're going to see with the message of the minor prophets going forward, God didn't let anybody off the hook. I mean, Israel would pay for their spiritual adultery, wouldn't they? Namely, by being taken captive and living in slavery. However, even in that time frame, there was hope. You may remember... The first of last year, we had a, a series on being better Bible students. Actually, right now we're talking about that in the 40s and 50s class. And one thing that we have to keep in mind as far as trying to be better Bible students is we've got to read the Bible in one continuous story and not hunt, hunt and peck. Right? We talked about that. Because the Bible is one continuous story. From Genesis to Revelation, it is a story of redemption. It is a story of redemption through Jesus Christ. And so we put ourselves in that story. God used real people to tell this story. And we can find ourselves among that story, hopefully. And certainly we can find ourselves within the story of Hosea. We are the bride of Christ. As we're going to talk about in this series, that remnant that came back after exile, that's us. We're the remnant. And we're going to see that as that plays out through this message from the minor prophets. But if you look in this story, you're going to see some things about God that we need to grasp. They are amazing, unbelievable truths about God that I don't know that we reflect upon enough. First of all, God's love is unreasonable, completely unreasonable by our standards. How could Hosea keep loving a woman who kept just flaunting adultery and fornication? 
that thunder knows at the covenant. How could God love Israel? How could he even choose them in the first place? It's unreasonable that God would love them through all of their mess-ups and through all of their sin, that God would still love them. What God would do that? Our God. He doesn't make sense always to us. We choose to love and marry someone who will love us back, and rightfully so, right? But God chose people that he knew would be unfaithful. Not only that, this unreasonable love becomes even more unreasonable as witnessed by the fact that he pursues his adulterous wife. He actually goes after her and buys her back. Not only is God's love unreasonable, it's tough. Sometimes there's tough love. You remember Hosea eventually lets Gomer go about her business and do her thing. She's in the valley of Achor, and he says, you know, she's going to have to come to her senses. There's nothing more that I can do. She's going to have to wake up. God still loves his people through thick and thin, even though the Israelite people had been unfaithful, even when they were living in slavery, he loved them. And he still wanted them to love him. He used their trials as an opportunity to lead them back. And if we choose to leave the relationship, if we choose to break the covenant of marriage with our God, then God's going to let us go and we're going to suffer the consequences. But he still loves us. God's love is unreasonable, God's love is tough, and God's love is unconditional. We're so quick to give up on people, aren't we? I mean, we'll give up on people at the drop of a hat, not God. And aren't you thankful that God doesn't react and act like we do? Most people will write another person off when they're betrayed, but not God. The Lord said to Hosea, go again and love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress. If only Gomer had made one or two little mistakes, but she had made many monumental mistakes. She had made a mess of her life. Her life was a dumpster fire. And God says, I still want you. I still love you. And God says to Hosea, go and buy her back because that's what he would do. And throughout all of this, if you want to write this in your Bible... One of the things we've talked about with being better Bible students is reading bigger chunks of the Bible and then summarizing what you've read. And if you want a summary that really kind of hits home with this, this minor prophet, it, it, it's this. God is wooing a harlot. Let that soak in. God is pursuing a prostitute because he loves her. And he wants her to be faithful. He wants her to change her ways. He wants her to love him as much as he loves her. You know, I think so many times we have a wrong concept of God because we haven't really, we hadn't really studied the Bible from a perspective that is a story of redemption. And so we kind of get this image of God like he's some, you know, powerful dictator that, that only wants to see us mess up so he can do something bad to us that he's just waiting to send us to hell because that's what gives him pleasure. And that's not at all the message that we find, especially throughout the Minor Prophets. What we find is a God that loves his people so much that he is willing to discipline them in the hope that they will turn around and spend eternity with him. You know, I can remember, sorry Zoe, but I'm going to use you as an example. I can remember when she was really small, Zoe did not go anywhere without her blanket. It was called her binky. She loved her blanket. 
and it never left her side. I mean, never. Anywhere we went, she had it with her. And so you can imagine the heartache and the headache it would cause when we would say, Zoe, it's time to wash binkies. I mean, this is getting ridiculous. It, it's muddy, you know, it's dirty. We've got to do something here. And so for that few hours that her blanket had to be washed, she was in emotional turmoil. She couldn't hardly function. It's like the two were inseparable. You didn't see one without the other. And I think that's what God was striving for and is striving for with his people. An inseparable relationship that the two just meld together. That you can't tear them apart. And if you do, there's absolute heartache. And God loves us so much. And it may not make sense that he would love dirty, ragged, old people like us. But he does. And while that may seem so unreasonable, aren't you glad that he operates that way? Aren't you glad that our God loves dirty, ragged, old sinners? And that even those who may have gone astray, and turn their back on God. Not only does he want us, he pursues us. and wants to buy us back. I said this this morning, I'm going to end with this tonight. I don't know where you're at right now. Some of you I do, but a lot of you I don't. Where are you at in your life right now? Where do you sit in this moment? Are you someone that has been unfaithful, that has turned your back on God? And, and maybe, maybe you're here tonight, but you're just going through the motions. Maybe you're someone who, who wants a stronger relationship with God, but you don't even really know where to start. Maybe you're someone who's been so tore up by life, you don't really even know if God is there. And you're questioning all that. Let us help you with this. If there's one message that we can see clearly and stated over and over again through the minor prophets, it's that God loves his people. Regardless of what they've done, he loves his people. God loves you, I have no doubt about it. And I think he'd love you all the way to hell if that's your choice. Make the best choice. Get right with God. And if we can help you do that tonight, come now as we stand and as we sing.